everyone. This is Pam Pack, your host for Authors on the Air. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Coming up next is a special in conversation with guest host Reed Hirsch and his guest, Chad Dunker. Don't go away. Be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I am so thrilled when I get two best-selling authors to come on the show and I get to sit back and listen. Um, My guest host tonight is Reese Hirsch. You know he's been on the show a few times. Um, He is the author of seven books, I think now, six books. Um, He also, he writes six, okay. He writes... um, the FBI cybercrime series with Lisa Tanchik because he is a liar for privacy issues. I am going to turn this over right now to my friend, Research. Reach, Reese, the microphone is yours. Have at it. Okay. Thanks, Pam. It's great to be here again. And uh, I'm interviewing a an outstanding thriller writer and a good friend, Chad Zunker. Chad is the author of the David Adams legal thriller series, most recently An Unequal Defense. Uh, he's also written uh, Shadow, the, the Tracker, Shadow Shepherd, and Hunt the Lion in his Sam Callahan series. Chad has worked for some of the country's most powerful law firms and serves at Community First Village, a 51-acre master plan community that provides affordable, permanent housing and a supportive community for men and women coming out of chronic homelessness. And that's going to come into play uh, in his books, as you'll see. And also, uh, Chad was just recently a finalist for the Harper Lee Award for an Unequal Defense. So that's a great honor. So, Chad, welcome. Thank you, Reese. It's a real privilege to be on the show with you today. Well, uh, how are you doing with uh, COVID-19? I know, uh, you know, you would think that writers would be able to just hunker down and keep working on their uh, their latest endeavor, but uh, but sometimes it's not that simple. So, is COVID-19 making you more or less productive when it comes to writing? Well, I'll I'll tell you, today is kind of a big day in our household because I have three daughters who are 12, 11, and 8, and two of them went back to school today, at least virtually, Um, and so they're engaged. And so to answer your question, um, the last five months have been um, very tough on the productivity front, having those three daughters at home. They are full of energy and loud, and since I work full-time from home, um, there's been a, a whole lot of uh, destruction and a whole lot of coming into my office and pulling me um, out of my stories. Actually, funny story, Reese. Um, although I'm working on something new right now, a few months ago I was trying to finish up um, the third book in my David Adams series, and, and, and my girls were just in my office all the time. I finally had to move into the very corner of my closet, lock my bedroom door, lock our bathroom door, and get as far away as I could uh, to finish that book. So I would say it's been tough on the productivity front, but I'm hoping now that the girls are back in school, we're going to start getting some real good writing done again. Oh, so you sound that's very optimistic about that, uh, you know, virtual classroom stuff. (laughs) You really think that's going to get them out of your hair? I, you know, I, 
right now, today was a good day, and, and they kind of have to log in to school all day long in their rooms. And so I, I'm hope I have to be optimistic, Reese, because it's been, it's been really hard. So I am really hopeful, and the deadline is coming, and so something's got to give. Well, good luck with that, Chad. So, uh, yeah. so we, we touched on your background in working with the homeless, and you know, that's certainly a, a theme in the David Adams series, at least the first two books. Um, the David Adams series feels like a very personal project for you. Uh, how did you bring your experiences working with Austin's homeless community to bear in, in writing those books? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely very personal themes and storylines in, in, um, in these books and this character and, and really two things happened right after my wife and I got married nearly 14 years ago, she took a job with a very small nonprofit, um, here in Austin where we live, um, as an accountant and, um, and this nonprofit served the, the, the homeless community here. And that was kind of our introduction, uh, to beginning to, to work with this community. And right after, um, she took that job. The head of the nonprofit, a wonderful man named Alan Graham, um, called me up and said, hey, Chad, I'd like you to um, kind of take a drive with me tonight. I want to show you a few things. And so I jumped in the truck with him. This was a Tuesday. Uh, and um, he started driving around town. And we stopped in at a few alleys and under bridges. And I met a lot of the people that he knew who lived on the streets and um, got to know a few of them. And then towards the tail end of that, um, that night, he drove me all the way um, into East Austin and, and through this um, older neighborhood until we got to the very back of it. He parked his truck near the, near the woods and he got out and he said, Hey, follow me. And so I started following him deep into the woods. And at this point I'm going, what, what are we doing? And, and we walked um, about a hundred yards down a path um, through the woods um, until we came upon a clearing. And in that clearing were about 10 different camping tents with about 12 guys huddled up around a campfire. And um, one of the guys was uh, playing the guitar, singing a song, and they were eating dinner together that they had made together. And this was my introduction to a homeless camp. And all of those guys knew Alan, and, and they jumped up and, and said hello to him. And then when he introduced me, um, I got about the warmest welcome I'd ever experienced in my life from these guys. And they kind of took me on a little tour of their camp. They had kind of a makeshift kitchen there and makeshift shower they had created. And this was a, you know, this was on somebody else's property, so it was a very secret camp. It wasn't like this public thing that people knew about. Um, and, but it was really just a really meaningful experience for me that night, especially with the way those guys treated me and welcomed me kind of into their, their little community there. And I walked away, um, from that night, not only, um, just very much engaged and wanting to know more about how to help, um, the homeless community, but also I was doing a lot of creative writing at that time, trying to break into publishing and, and and I just stored away this thought of a seed for story. I, I just thought, man, there's something here. There's something I I want to tell one day, um, a story I want to tell, and that um, and I kind of just sort of away, stored away that idea. And then I I, I came back to it, Reese, um, after I broke into publishing. As you mentioned, I had three other books: The Tracker and Shadow Shepherd Hunt the Lion from another series, the Sam Callahan series, and. Um, 
and when I was um, finishing up the the third book in that series on my own, I just started thinking, you know what, I really want to see if I can't develop that that idea I had. And that's when I came up with this character, David Adams, a, a young law school graduate from a poor background that um, chases the law school dream of getting a high corporate um, paying job and living the high life and um, moves to Austin and chasing the, the, the money and, and the power and a chan- and has a chance encounter with a homeless man one night who saves his life from a mugging and then introduces them to this underground world of this homeless camp and, and it really flips his world upside down and leads them into a dark conspiracy. But that's just kind of how it all came together, Reese. Well, that's that's a great story, and and sometimes you know when writers have a, a, a subject that they want to get to in their writing, uh, that's sort of personal to them. You know, do you feel like it it was well served uh, to uh, to get a few books under your belt before you approach this subject matter? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I I, I definitely do. I mean, I it, it, certainly um, sharpening the craft. Um, learning a lot from the editors I've gotten to work with um, in those first few years with Thomas and Mercer, brilliant people, brilliant editors they pair you up with. I think it it really put me in a great spot to take on this challenge because it, it is hard. It is hard to write something that's so deeply personal, certainly when the character you're creating um, kind of has a – it, it has its life flipped upside down in the same way that I did personally by that night. And and that experience has really led my wife and I on this incredible 14-year journey where we've served the, served the homeless um, with our family and experienced so much and really been impacted by and continue today. And to be able to pull that into my main character um, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it felt very autobiographical in writing it. And um, and, and I wanted to get it right. And I wanted to get it right. Um, also for the community, um, I was writing about, I wanted to represent, um, that community well and, and not write from stereotypes and really put real faces on real people. Right. I mean, do you think it's uh, sometimes even more difficult to write a book when it's personal to you? Because sometimes you go into it with certain, uh, you know, points you want to make or, you know, things that you want to convey. And, uh, you know, it, you know, maybe it's, I found sometimes you want to hang on to things in the editing process that you wouldn't otherwise hang on to, or it's just sometimes the personal ones can be tougher. Than, yeah, it, it, it was tough. And, and, you know, like with my first series, um, it, it was very plot driven, very fast paced. Um, espionage components and all that with the Sam Callahan series and and I had to work a little harder on that series to do some great character development and so it led to the plot and I had to roll up my sleeves and really develop the character so the reader loved it. The, the second series with David Adams it was really the reverse. It was almost like I connected so deeply on a personal level with the character and, and his and the arc of his story and his life transformation while he was in the middle of this dark crime conspiracy wrapped around the homeless um, that, that it really, you know, I, I had so much I wanted to share about his character development um, that I, I think I was probably very, as a matter of fact, I know in my first draft and all that, I was really heavy 
and the character development part of it. And, um, you know, generally, as you know, because we share the same publisher, I, I just had good people that said, hey, this is all great. And we got to make sure that it's still a thriller, you know, and we got to make sure we pull readers in with the, the thrilling parts of the story and take our time to develop the character um, throughout the story rather than like trying to give it to them all in the front of the book. And and so, yeah, I think it I, I think it. I like the personal component of it because I certainly like feeling so connected with the emotions of the character, but certainly the temptation is to um, share too much too soon with readers. Right. And you're exploring such a, a unique world here with the, the homeless community in Austin. Have uh, any of the um, the homeless people that you've, you know, have they read your books and provided feedback and their perspective? Well, one of the uh, yes, the answer is yes. And one of the cool things, and you mentioned it when you were kind of giving my opening bio, is we're my wife and I were fortunate to be part of this nonprofit that helped launch a 51-acre master plan community here in Austin called Community First Village. And the whole intention was to lift chronically homeless people um, off the streets, put them in a supportive community where they have all the resources they need for their mental health, um, micro enterprise businesses and all that. And so we're connected with this community where over 200 um, homeless individuals have already been pulled off the streets. And so I have these relationships um, established. And one of the cool things about Community First Village is they have a library, a small library on site where I, I have um, some of my books inside. And so, yes, it, to answer your question, I've had some of them read it. And, um, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, tell me they feel honored. Um, they feel so connected to the story and they feel like, I told it um, from the right perspective, and I got it right, what it was really like out there to live on the streets, and, and as, as well as um, so many of the, the people um, on staff with this nonprofit, Mobilos and Fishes, reading it and just feeling like um, just feeling like I represented well. So it's been, that's been very uh, meaningful to me because um, I certainly um, didn't want to write something so personal and somebody feel like I, I didn't get it right. Right, right. Well, uh, well, it must be very gratifying. So uh, you really were uh, writing from experience with this series, not only with your work with the homeless community, but also uh, you've had experience with some of the big law firms, too. You know, how did, uh, how did that figure in? Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of um, just my journey as a writer, you know. I mean, I know there are a lot of young um, aspiring writers out there who feel like they're stuck in dead-end jobs and, and they just want to dream of, of writing um, full-time um, one day. And But I can say that you can, you, you're always going to be able to pull from wherever you are and so try to make the most of that experience. And for me, I, I studied journalism at the University of Texas here in Austin and towards my tail end of, of – um, uh, that my education here, I kind of really got the creative writing bug rather than the, the journalism bug. And and so rather than taking um, a journalism job in, in, you know, Podunk Town, Texas, I, I just was like, I want to stay in Austin, cool city, vibrant city, and um, and just take a stab at this creative writing, try to write some novels and see if I can't break in. And, and, and by doing that, I got a job just clerking at one of these big high-powered law firms here in Austin, and and that ended up being kind of a my first mini professional career, clerking and case managing, and um, I became a records manager in these firms, and 
and I really got a firsthand experience um, of what it what it's like in this high pressure world with billable hours and 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 law from splitting up and cheating each other and taking clients and all this kind of stuff that a lot that you see um, dramatized on TV and all that. As a matter of fact, the the law firm I was with uh, for most of that time was a was a, like a hundred year old. Um, powerful San Francisco firm, and while I was there, the greed among the partners took the the entire law firm down um, in flames until it completely dissolved. And so, yeah, I just got I just got an up up close um, education about what that world's like, the, the the great parts of it, and the very very dark parts of it, and all of that. Um, I just felt like someday I'm going to be able to use um, in legal thrillers that I wanted to write. And I, I've really gotten to do that um, in this David Adams series. Yeah, I know that world very well as a you do, practicing Reed. attorney. So, and sometimes uh, you know it can be tough to make uh, lawyers sympathetic characters. You know, they, they tend to be viewed as sharks and that sort of thing. But you definitely manage that with David Adams. You know, he's an idealistic young guy who leaves the the big law firm world behind. And uh, I think you did a great job of, of creating a, a character that, that readers can root for there. Uh, do you have any favorite legal thrillers or fictional lawyers? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the Harper Lee Prize that um, An Equal Justice got was a finalist for. And I would say that was the first, you know, <laughs> some, you know, so-called legal thriller, legal mystery crime um, that, um, I read and really connected, um, with that story and Atticus, Atticus Finch, uh, you know, willing to fight for a social justice cause and, and meant a lot to me. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't really, um, I grew up more kind of as a jock. My first dream was to play professional football and, and I traced that dream all the way to being on the team at the university of Texas, but knew, um, pretty much my first year that, I probably needed to find a new dream because the athletes there were incredible. Um, but but something happened right after my senior year in high school. Um, there was a, a up and coming author at that time. This is 1992, um, named John Grisham, and I think you know we've heard of him. And he had a, a book out, a new book out <laughs> called The Pelican Brief. And my mom at that time. Um, she used to subscribe to the Reader's Digest condensed books, you know, where they take three books or so and they condense them into one volume and send it out monthly. And that summer after my senior year, um, I I just stumbled upon that book on her um, end table. And for some reason, I turned it open and started reading it. And like I said, I had I didn't read a whole lot of fiction in high school. I was busy playing sports. And if I read much, it was sports biographies and and even though I kind of had a knack for writing, I didn't really develop the creative part of it until college. But I read that book, um, The Pelican Brief, all the way through, um, and it and it really was the first time I was like, this is exciting. This, this kept me up late. I didn't want to stop. And and so while so I I would really say Grisham had a big influence on me because from there in college I started consuming what he came out with and. And and it really felt like um, a lot of the characters he created, the Mitch McDeers of the firm, and and some of the other um, lawyers he created, um, 
um, really did a good job of humanizing them. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that was my first education on legal thrillers and, and it's been cool today. You know, everybody's the next Grisham, you know, as far as promoting books, but I've had a lot of people tell me that they feel like my stories really kind of similar to early Grisham. And I take that as a compliment. Yeah, I think, I think early Grisham and maybe presumed innocent by Scott Turow launched, uh, you know, innumerable legal thriller authors, I think, and, and as a practicing Absolutely. attorney. So I, I know so many of my peers read those books and thought, maybe I can do that. And usually the books end up in a desk drawer, but, uh, but you, uh, you pulled it off. Well, it took me a long time, Reese, as you know my story. I wrote for 20 years and completed 10 uh, manuscripts and got rejected over a thousand times before I finally struck the publishing deal with our amazing publisher, Thomas and Mercer. And that was, I guess, four years ago now. And so it wasn't an overnight success and it took a long time and had to persevere through a, a ton of rejection, but it, it really was worth it. And I didn't realize at that time early on that it would take so long to to get to tell these stories, but I'm certainly glad um, I got to stuck with it because things like today um, really are all part of that dream come true, getting to talk to you. Uh, we're fortunate because we share the same um, agent, David, who is an amazing um, yeah. agent, and just, and just getting to be on Pam's show, as I mentioned in the, the conversation we all had right before, um, getting to be on Pam's show is just another part of living out that dream. And um, so, yeah, this is all just really neat. Yeah, I mean, there may be some published authors out there who just uh, you know, knock out a, a first book in a few months and get published by a big five publisher and just, you know, are off and running from there. But I haven't met them. I think, you know, everybody has to go through that apprenticeship and all that rejection. It's just kind of par for the course, I think. I, th I am certainly better for it. I wouldn't change any part of it, even though there was so much heartache and questioning and times I wanted to um, give up and then, but just couldn't because it's almost like a calling, as you know, when you, when you just feel that calling, like you just have to write, you can't not write. Um, and that's just what kept me going. And, and I, I certainly feel like I'm better for it both as, the craft of writing, of having to work that hard and all of it, but also just putting me in a position to where I can really appreciate all this. And I can appreciate every single reader who sends me a note telling me they connected with the story and really liked it. Every single reader who leaves a review somewhere, like I, you just appreciate every single moment of that. And I don't, I don't know if I would have as much if the journey wasn't so long to get here. And so, yeah, I wouldn't change it. And, um, and I know you wouldn't either. Yeah, definitely. And so do you read all your uh, good reads and Amazon reviews or are you somebody who tries to you, stay away from that? You, you know what? I, I really try not to anymore. Um, of course I, sometimes when a new book's released, you know, I kind of obsess over it a little bit. Um, and before I finally go, okay, it's just going to do what it's going to do. Um, certainly early on when my books were getting published, but you know how it is with us creatives. Um, we can we can get 10 five-star reviews in a row, but it's that one poor review that comes next that, that gnaws at us and sticks with us and, um, and makes those that other That is the 10. one you remember. 
that's the one you think about and that's the one that lives with you. And so if I do ever go on there, I like to kind of filter first and try to just read the good ones. If I need a little stroke of the ego and remind myself that, yes, you can do it and people are reading and they're liking it, I'll try to filter it and stay away from that. Well, so uh, so we've talked about kind of your path to getting published. What do you think you've learned about writing thrillers since your first book came out, The Tracker? Which, by the way, I thought had a great premise. I love the love the premise of that book. Yeah, thank oh. you very much. Yeah, The Tracker, you know, for those listeners, um, was also about a young attorney who is trying to finish up school and took a job as a political tracker, um, which are the young guys that follow around politicians trying to catch them in a lie um, on camera. And so I created a story um, around there about a young guy out on the trail who catches something on camera in private that he um, that puts his life in danger and puts him on the run. And so that's what that that's how that series started. And so but to answer your question, um, what what have I learned? I, I think, you know, I, 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 I've learned a whole lot more about my methodology of, of how, you know, when you're sometimes when you're just trying to get that first book published, you know, you may have worked on that. Um, for years and gone back through and done all kinds of revisions and, and done it different ways to get to where you are. And, and, but I think once you get that chance and then it's like, okay, the next, next book, they want the next book. And now it's, they want it in nine months, you know? And I think I've right. really learned what, what has worked for me as far as producing creativity at a high level. Um, and, and a lot of that involves, I like to write first thing in the morning, right after I get my kids squared away because that's when I feel like I have the most creative energy and, and I like to escape when the kids will allow me, you know, back in the other world um, before COVID and, and just escape for four or five hours um, into my cave. And I, man, I'll do everything from turning the lights really down low and, and just trying to get in that character and, and knock out what I can. And, and I'm usually spent in about four or five hours, but, but, so to answer your question, it's a lot of it's just about methods and about the craft and what works for me and producing. And, you know, I, I know we're getting toward the end of our half hour here, but uh, hopefully it's not too long a story to tell. But you're also a successful entrepreneur. And I thought this is such a cool, you know, a cool you know, story. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about yeah. how you became an it, inventor of baby products? I, I will, and I'll keep it short because I know we're we're um, getting to the end. But it's it's also another important part of my writing journey. So, in the midst of um, you know getting married, and my wife and I got pregnant, and all while I'm trying to somehow get published and work a real job, we had a a very fussy first baby. We brought her home from the hospital, and we had such a hard time controlling her crying and we started going to all the tools we could um, dream up or heard about or somebody gave us. And one of those tools was this technique called um, rhythmic shushing. It's like an African mother um, technique, this long, loud rhythmic shushing um, technique. And I read about it in a book or saw it on a video from a doctor. And I, I finally tried that with my baby and it worked like a charm. Um, the problem was my wife couldn't do it long enough or loud enough. She didn't have the lung capacity, and so I had to do it every time. And and I was like, honey, I can't be the designated shusher in our family. i got to go back to work. And so I got one of her little digital recorders, and I recorded myself in my car one day alone 
for about 10 minutes doing this shushing technique and brought it out and I'm like, okay, the real thing works. Will a recording of the real thing work? And it did. And that became like the magic bullet for us that first year with Anna, our firstborn, and we used it all the time. But then we got pregnant right away, five months um, into Anna being born. We got pregnant with Madison. And, and in the hospital, we were like, hey, let's try that shusher again, see if it works. And it did. It worked great. And this time, all the doctors and nurses were mesmerized by it. Like, what is that? Never seen anything like that. And so being entrepreneurialistic, as you said, I we came home and said, hey, why, why, didn't, why couldn't we find this somewhere and just began a journey of saying, hey, let's see if we can invent a product. And with the help of my father-in-law who put up the money, we invented something called the Baby Shisher. And long story short, um, it has become one of the, the most well-known mom products on the market. It's sold in Target and Bye Bye Baby and, and in 50 countries around the world. And, and it was – I brought on a partner to run it years ago, and, and it reached a level of success that allowed me to quit my day job and really go for this writing thing five years ago, and I credit it with um, helping me be able to go all in and really make this writing dream happen. But, yeah, that's just one of those things that came about, that another part of the American dream of creating a product that ended up working and becoming kind of a phenomenon. Well, that's amazing. So if somebody buys the baby shusher, will they still hear your voice doing the shushing, or do you have professional shushers now? Uh, it is. It's the funniest thing, Reese. This, I early on trying to create the prototype for this product, I went into my buddy's sound studio and recorded the perfect rhythmic shush. And that same sound file is shushing probably a million babies around the world right now. My brother jokes. He says, in about 20 years, you're going to go to Times Square and start shushing, and all these people are going to start falling asleep, having no idea why. But it's, it's, it's like it's, like your superpower. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so quickly, what's your next project? What's up next? Another David Adams? So, David, Ad- I just wrapped up David Adams number three called Runaway Justice, and that will hit shelves um, next February. And and at the moment, now that my kids are sort of back in school, I'm trying to continue work on a domestic thriller standalone that my publisher and I are excited about. And so. Yeah, I got to get that finished um, by the new year. So that's what I'm working on. So well, I'm cutting congrats. in here, gentlemen, uh, just to say that first of all, the shusher sounds wonderful. Where were you when my kid was born 32 years ago? I could have used you. <laughs> I know, Pam. I know. I'm sure. So funny. Um, also, I want to mention again. Community First Village, which is your 51-acre master plan community that provides for affordable, permanent housing and a supportive community for men and women coming out of chronic homelessness. I would like to be able to send to that library um, a box of books that I have that are either duplicates or in genres I don't read. I'll send you an email, Chad. May I send you some books? Absolutely. And here's the funny thing about that library for these residents. The most popular genre of books is mystery thriller. And so well, they will, they have will, I, they have will I love got that. mystery thrillers for you? <laughs> have I got mystery thrillers? Um, I want to jump back to Reese. Reese, I know you're working on a new project. Are we going to see Miss Tanchik again? Or is Lisa going a little bit away and you're starting something new? 
Well, I'm working on something new, and uh, it, it's not a Lisa Tanchik book, so I'm, I'm going to try something a little bit different. We'll see how it plays, and uh, if it works out, I'd love to come back and chat with you again about well, it. Well, you know you will anytime you want. Uh, anytime you want. I'm, lo- I'm glad to have you here. Chad, it has been such an honor having you on the show. You are a best-selling author. I just almost fell over when you said it took 20 years for you to get published. So you were an overnight success in 20 years, and um, not necessarily an unusual story, though, right? Well, I've met a whole lot who have taken a long time, yes. Yep. Stay Berry says it took him a long time. Jenny Miltrum said it took her a long time. Congratulations, both of you, on your many, many successes. Reese, will you please give us your website and social media? Okay, it's uh, www.reesehirsch.com. And where and I'm can on we Facebook find you on and all the usual places. And Chad, where can we find you? Yeah, it's, you can go to Chad Zunker at uh, chadzunker.com z-u-n-k-e-r.com um, and now you can find all my social media buttons on there um, yeah I, I just recommend go there and just by the by something personal I love Austin it's the only place in Texas I like going I went to a restaurant there once where in the evening when the sun went down all the bats came out out of all underneath the bridges that still happen that still happens and actually that was a little a little something i even included in the first um book in this david adams series because austin is famous for its bats it really is and by the way listeners you can get the bundle of the david adams series right now on amazon all three books you can order um of course the third one is not out until next year but i would suggest you go ahead and go you can find reese and chad in any online store but also in brick and mortar they're Publisher is Thomas and Mercer, division of Amazon. Terrific book, as always. Reese, I can't thank you enough for being here and, and well, doing you. this interview. And Chad, you're going to have to come back and interview someone of your choice, okay? I look forward to it, Pam. And thank you so much, Reese. I really appreciate it. Great oh, talking to you, Chad. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Reese Hirsch and Chad Zunker. Thank you for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later.